0: Hey, welcome to our online sermons at Coastal Community Church. So glad that uh, you're checking these sermons out on our internet and, and on our website. And So I want to welcome you. And, and I do want to encourage you that these sermons, online sermons, should be a supplement to your spiritual growth. But one of the things that we're big believers in at Coastal Community Church, and I uh, want to encourage you, is to find a home church uh, where you can not only grow in teaching, but also grow in community with other believers. So if you don't have a home church near you and you live in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love to invite you to Coastal Community Church. We just recently moved uh, to 101 Village Avenue. We have two services, uh, 9:15 and 11, and we'd love for you to check out one of our services here in the community. Over the summer, uh, a lot of changes going on at Coastal Community Church. We're changing locations, and, and part of what we wanted to focus on in the summer as we move into our new location is to remind us of the one thing that doesn't change and won't change at Coastal, and that's that we wanted to lift up the person and the work of God's Son, Jesus Christ. So Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, the letter of Hebrews is the perfect letter to remind us that Jesus is greater than anything we could imagine. And so I hope you'll join us and enjoy this sermon called Greater Than. Good morning. It is great to see you. And uh, as the pastor of a church with a Leaky roof, I've been dreading the Sunday that it would be raining. So welcome, and it's a flat roof, so uh, it, it makes a nice little... I, I hope y'all don't go to sleep. Isn't it relaxing? And I was sitting there like, man, I just snuggle up on a nap this morning. But uh, no, I listen, uh, we're going to continue in our series called Greater Than, Hebrews chapter 11. So I hope that you brought your Bible and you can turn there with me. This is probably one of the more beloved passages in the New Testament Um, that reminds us of men and women uh, that have gone on before us and and walked the journey of faith. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, do me a favor and and take that one with you, okay? We would love for you to have a copy of the Word of God, and uh, that's our gift uh, to you. There's some notes in your bulletin. You can follow along with me. Uh, in the 1800s, there was a very famous acrobat, the guy by the name of Charles Blondine, and and uh, he w- he did a lot of circus performances. Uh, but at the pinnacle of his career, uh, he he strung a tightrope uh, over Niagara Falls, and he his fame grew, and he would cross uh, from the American side, the Canadian side. He did it almost twenty times over his career. Uh, Each time adding something to his show, uh, everything from carrying his manager on his back to one time he stopped in the middle of the rope, he actually cooked and ate an omelet on the middle of this tightrope, was Charles Blondine. But in one of his shows, he asked his audience, which had swelled at times to over 25,000 people, and if you think about the 1860s and traveling to Niagara Falls was no easy feat, so... That was a very large crowd in its day. And so one time he asked the crowd if they believed he could cross the tightrope with the wheelbarrow. So he took this wheelbarrow, he went across, and he came back, and the crowd roared in approval. And then he asked the question, how many of you believe that I could go across the tightrope and back again with somebody in the wheelbarrow? Of course, the, the crowd roared in approval. Of course you can. We've seen you do so many fantastic tricks, so many acrobatic moves out on tightrope with, with, with other people in your back. So surely you could go across this rope with somebody in the wheelbarrow. And he did something unthinkable. What do you think he did? I need a volunteer, right? I <laughs> need a volunteer. I mean, I want you to think about that. Would you have raised your hand and said, I will get in a wheelbarrow with a single wheel on a single rope less than an inch thick, crossing the Niagara Falls, knowing that if you fell, you fell to your death. Would you get in? And this morning, you know, we're we're talking about this journey of faith. And so this author has been speaking to these newly birthed, really a newly birthed church as we transition from the old covenant to the new covenant. And last week we talked about this idea that he was trying to tell these, these Old Testament believers in God that have now transitioned to the New Testament believers in God that God has always expected that the people that are following him are following him by faith. There's an element, if you will, of risk. There's an element of unknown, if you will. And so this, this author is encouraging these people to journey by faith. And last week we finished with this verse, Hebrews 11, verse six, and it is impossible to please God without faith. It is Impossible to please God without faith. I mean, that's a striking verse for me. It is impossible to please God without faith. There there is a, a faith aspect to our journey. And the author now goes on to illustrate some men and women that journeyed with God through faith. And at least, so what I want to do this morning is I want to take some very well-known stories. I want to kind of give you a, 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 a summary of the story of these Old Testament saints. And then we're going to look at what the Hebrew author says is pulls out as some truths of how we can live, even in the modern day, living by faith. And so the first person we want to look at this morning is the story of Noah. Now, I would assume most of you have some idea of the story of Noah, Out of the book of Genesis, Noah lived, most of you know, Noah built an ark and God flooded the earth and Noah and his family survived with animals, two of each kind, on the ark. Now let me give you a little background, okay? At this point in the history of the earth, there were very few, if any, people worshiping the true and living God, And so God sees the earth. He can't find anyone besides Noah and his family really worshiping the Lord. And so the Lord says, God tells Noah, I want you to build an ark, a large boat that's going to house you, your family, and two of every kind of animal." Now, uh, this this is open to dispute what I'm about to say, okay, but it is possible that the construction of the ark took about a hundred years, all right? It may have taken a little bit less than that, that's some of the dispute, all right? But about a hundred years that Noah builds this thing called an ark. Now, I want you to imagine that for a minute. I bet you Noah's neighbors had a heyday with this, right? I mean, year in and year out, what are you doing, Noah? I'm building a boat, why? Because God's gonna flood the earth. At about year 50, I bet that's the joke of the neighborhood, right? Really, Noah? You're still believing this word from God? Some 40 or 50 or even 100 years in. Now, here's what's interesting as we, we kind of know the outcome of these stories, but what's interesting to me out of, out of Hebrews is how the author of Hebrews gives us some commentary. Check this out. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. So let me pull a couple things out. Number one, Noah lived with an eternal perspective. I hope you're hearing this. This is part of this theme of this book, right? That we have this temporary time on earth and we need to live with an eternal perspective. We need to remember that the promises of God sometimes, not always, sometimes don't always take place in the here and now, but will ultimately be fulfilled in eternal life. There's always gonna be a fulfillment of the word of God. And Noah believed, and here's why we know he had an eternal perspective. Noah believed in things he had not yet seen. The author of Hebrews says he, he, God said something was coming or flood is coming. he never, apparently had never seen a flood. He obeyed God and built this ark. It took a very long period of time. But it was something he hadn't seen. And of course, this is part of the book of Hebrews, right? We learn this in Hebrews, verse nine twenty seven. There's something in, in our future that we haven't yet seen, right? Hebrews nine twenty seven. 27. And just as each person is destined to die once and after that comes what, church? We've never seen that. There's something in your future that you have yet to see, but God is gonna be true to his word. And so we need to be faithful. And so Noah lived with the big picture. And he understood that, that God in his grace warns us of things that we haven't yet seen. In the meantime, Noah built an ark with reverent fear. That's what, that's what the ESV calls this when it talks about Noah working and building this boat. It says he, he built it with reverent fear. Now, now faith is rooted in a, in a reverence and an awe towards the Lord. You know, we, I, I feel like we experienced that a little bit this morning around our nation, right? It was really neat to just sit here and, and kind of feel what you guys were feeling as the flag was being folded, right? No one applauded. I was kind of glad we didn't applaud. Sometimes it's like we don't know what to do in the face of holiness or all. We Sometimes we just applaud. When sometimes I think we're just supposed to like just... Just take it in. Like we watched our flag being full. We understood the freedoms that we have. We understand the cost of that freedom. We we sat in a a sense, we were reverent to the men and the women and the documents that that helped lead this country, right? And there was a reverence to that. Noah built an ark with a reverence towards the word of God. There was was kind of a holy set-apart fear of the words of God and the commands of God. And this theme of holiness, this theme of set-apartness, set uh, set Noah to uh, to his task. And so faith is is, is grounded in this idea that we have a reverent fear of the Lord. And by the way, let me take a little side note here, okay? Sometimes our reverence to the Lord means that we're faithful to the mundane. Yes? Yes? Like sometimes we have this really big picture for our lives and it's supposed to be this or this but but Noah was faithful day in and day out to a very mundane job of pitch and wood and pegs and nails and building an ark right and it took a long time and I'm sure it was tedious and then there were times where it was boring and there were times where he was trying to get a job done and the weather changed and it got yucky you know and on and on but he was faithful in the mundane why because he had a reverent fear of the. Lord's command. Does that make sense? See, so, don't, so don't always like put pie in the... I don't want you to t- necessarily take from these passages that, man, there's this huge thing I'm supposed to do for the Lord. Maybe there is, but maybe it's faithfulness in the un- mundane to the, to the regular things that God has called us to do. And there's, there's this reverent fear. Faith obeys the word of the Lord. It's not not out of earning but out of, out of a healthy respect and reverent fear of God. Psalm 110, verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the foundation of what, church? True wisdom. See, we, we've become a foolish nation in general as a culture because we have lost a reverence of this thing that God has said is going to happen at some point in our existence, that we're gonna stand before God and we are gonna give an account. And because we've lost that, we've become foolish. The third thing I want you to see out of this kind of this eternal perspective, this big picture perspective that Noah had is, is that righteousness was credited to Noah by God's grace through faith. Isn't that interesting? I bet you didn't see that when you original, originally read the story of Noah and the ark, you don't, we don't catch it, but Hebrews 11:7 giving us commentary. says, "He received the righteousness that comes how." How's it come? By what? By faith, right? What does that sound like? Well, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Righteousness, even for the Old Testament believers, has always been a grace of God gifted to us through faith in what he says, right? And so doing is not earning. Doing is an overflow of both a reverent fear and an opportunity to worship the Lord. Does that make sense? And so we worship the Lord when we obey what he's called us to do. It's not earning. The earn, the, the righteousness has been earned for us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the person and work of Jesus Christ has been credited to us by grace through faith. It's always been that way. And Noah earned God's righteousness by honoring what the Lord called him to do. And so we live by faith and we live with an eternal perspective. The second person I want you to see is Abraham, right? And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drill down on just one part of Abraham's story out of Hebrews, all right? Hebrews spends a lot of time on both Abraham and Sarah. You probably know the story of Abraham, but Abraham was told that he was going to be a great nation, right out of Abraham was going to be he was uh, most of us consider uh, Abraham to be the father of our faith and so Abraham was told he's going to be a great nation He was going to have a son out of his out of his heritage is going to be a, a massive nation that the Lord is going to bless and late in life Abraham and Sarah still don't have a kid Probably in their 90s, the Bible tells us an angel of the Lord shows up, says, listen, God's still going to be true to his promise. You're going to be, you're going to have a kid. The Bible tells us that everything, their their bodies were as good as dead. Okay. So to me, that's really funny. That means the plumbing doesn't work anymore. Right. So the angel says, you're going to have a kid. Nothing. Are you kidding me? Nothing's working anymore. How are we going to have a kid kind of thing? And so they literally, they laugh out loud. Right. And sure enough, a year later, they're pregnant with a son named what? Anybody know? Isaac, right, which means laughter, right? So we're going to laugh, you know, and and for those of you who had kids late in life and you know how exhausting they are, you laugh sometimes, what a dummy you were, so, right, man, I can't believe this, and so you laugh out loud, and so they, they named Isaac laughter, and so now Isaac grows, he's the son of promise, the son that Abraham and Sarah had waited decades for God to fulfill this promise. Again, faithful to the mundane, faithful to what the Lord had called them to. And then God shows up in Genesis chapter 21 and says the unthinkable. Ready? Sometime later, God tested Abraham's what, church? Anybody know what happens next? Hey, Abraham, this is what God says next. If you read the rest of that passage, Abraham, what you want you to do? I want you to take your one and only son, the son of promise. And I want you, and I'm going to tell you where to go. And I want you to sacrifice your son. What? And so Abraham gets the wood together. He gets a donkey, gets his servants, he gets his son. They start heading out to where God instructs. They get about halfway there and Abraham tells his servants, hey, you guys stay behind, we'll go on from here. And as they're heading to the place where God calls them to sacrifice. Abraham's son Isaac says, hey, dad, I see everything here. We've got the fire, we've got the wood. I don't see a sacrifice. Can you imagine what that would do to you? And Abraham says, son, the Lord will provide. He gets up there, he, he bounds up, he builds this altar, he bounds his son, and he raises his hand to sacrifice his only son, Abraham does. When God verbally intervenes and stops him, and for years I looked at that story and it, it left a pit in my stomach, and I wondered what What was Abraham thinking as this is going down? I got really good news for you. Ready? Hebrews gives us some commentary on what Abraham was thinking. Check this out. Hebrews 11 verse 17. And it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises. So what promises did he receive? He received a son, right? When he he was older, he received a son. And he was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. And Abraham reasoned, ready? That if Isaac died, God was able to do something. What was God able to do? Bring him back from the dead. Where did he get that information from? But that is what was going on in Abraham's mind. mean, my God is big enough to raise my son, because now here's the deal, right? At this moment, Abraham has two what appear to be opposing words of the Lord. Is't that fascinating? I'm going to bless you through this son, go ahead and sacrifice your son. So he's got these two opposing things that he's been called to obey the Lord. And so in his obedience, he says, the only thing I can even imagine is God can raise the dead. When you hear something crazy, if you're here this morning and you call yourself a Christian, you believe the same thing. Isn't that cool? And that's why Abraham's considered the father of our faith because he raises the dead. And so he trusted so a couple things okay faith is trusting the character and the word of god this is in some ways what we talked about last week faith is trusting in the character and the word of our god abraham trusted that god is in control he trusted the sovereignty of god at no point does abraham think that god had lost his mind he just trusted in what god could do he trusted that god knew what he was doing he trusted that god does sometimes does call us to things that we don't understand Abraham trusted in the promises or the words of God. He never doubted that Isaac was the son of promise. And he trusted that God could provide. He trusted that God can raise the dead. It's the same thing that you and I believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it stands to reason that Abraham, by the way, is the father of our faith because we believe the same thing that Abraham believed that God will raise up from the death, dead. So death is not something we fear. That's why we just sang, Oh, death, where is your sting? It loses its power because we worship a God who raises the dead. And I, I mean, there's nothing more sacred to me. There are few things, I won't say nothing, there are few things more sacred to me than. Than doing the funeral of a saint of God. Someone that's a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Someone who ran the race well. Served in their local church. Worshipped regularly Jesus Christ. And when we lay them rest. Like, like there's, this, there's this thing that. I'm like they believed all the way to the end. That God's going to raise their body. Right Now we're told that to be asked for the bodies to be present with the Lord, but we, there's this in-between time we're waiting where Christ returns and we get reunited with our glorified body, okay? And all, I don't know what all the details of that are, but I could give you some, and that's another sermon for another day. But, but man, I look at the saint of the Lord and I'm like, wow. They honored the Lord in faith all the way to the end. And it's a, it's a sacred trust to me as a pastor, to be a part of a, of a ceremony like that for someone who has believed. And so Abraham believed what we believe, that, that God could raise the dead and that God is true to his promises and true to his word. The third person I want to look at this morning is Moses. I want to look at Moses this morning. But I'm going to do this one a little bit backwards. Rather than give you the back story, I'm going to give you the Hebrews story, and then we'll look at the back story, okay? Here's Hebrews, Hebrews eleven twenty four 24 on Moses. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So this is where you got to know your, your, your history, your Old Testament history a little bit. Remember, uh, Moses was hidden. Uh, in a wicker basket because all the little two years and under babies were to be killed. Moses was hidden and he was found by Pharaoh's daughter and was adopted into the house of Pharaoh. So now as he grows older, because he's an adopted son, he's actually a future prince. Okay, He's actually a future prince over the, the nation of Egypt. That was what he had the right to claim Okay, as a son. So that's where he is, right? And so it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people. Instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin, he thought it better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking ahead to his great reward. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. It was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and sprinkle the blood on the doorposts on the angel of death Uh, so the angel of death would not kill their firstborns. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. And when I read this, I read Hebrews' take on Moses' life, I kind of step back and go, man, this guy is a juggernaut when it comes to following God by faith, right? Like, I mean, he never messed up. God told him he did it and that was it, right? And man, now we look back and go, man, Moses was one of the great leaders of the Old Testament. He lived by faith. The problem is Exodus chapter 1 through 4 gives me a little different picture of Moses, right? When, and, and at least when he got started. And it encourages me, actually. As a follower of Christ. Does anybody know why he left Egypt and didn't claim to be you know, the prince and all the treasures and, and pleasure of Egypt? Do you know why he left? Anybody know why he left? He murdered somebody, right? He, 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 he saw an Egyptian oppressing one of the uh, Hebrews, and he kills him, right? And he, he murders him. And so he, the next day, he finds out the Egyptians are upset with him. And so he flees to the desert as a chicken for the next 40 years, all right? And for 40 years, we find Moses tending sheep in the desert, and that's when God shows up. And God says, hey, Moses, listen, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt to the promised land. And so Moses immediately says, no problem, God, I'm up to the task, right? No, he begins to make excuses. I can't, are you, God, are you kidding me? You know, I've been tending sheep, I can't possibly do it. And so God answers that, tells him he's going to be with him. Then he says, well, okay, God, but listen, how are they going to know it's you who sent me? Ha! God says, throw your staff down. He does a miracle for him. "Uh, Okay, God, Uh, well, what if they don't believe me? What if if they tell them I came in your name and you do some miracles and they don't believe me? And God answers that. And so finally, he finishes with this one. I can't do it, God, because I don't talk so good. Okay, that's what he said. He comes all the way down to that one, you know. And so God says, all right, take your brother Aaron. I guess he's a better communicator than you. All right. And so I read this, and I'm like, man, I, uh, Hebrews 11 is like a, this faithful juggernaut. Exodus 1 through 4, though, looks a little bit more like real life, doesn't it? And so it encourages me. So I think what we get out of Moses is faith is, is ultimately seeing what others don't see. I'm going to bring this full circle, okay? Faith is ultimately seeing what others don't see. And I'm talking about spiritual matters. John chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus replied. He's answering a question by a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is trying to figure out this character called Jesus. Sneaks out at night, asks some questions. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. See, there's spiritual matters that the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to. There's spiritual matters that awaken our heart and they awaken our soul. I'm going to tell you something, by the way. If you're praying for someone that's not yet a believer, I think the most powerful prayer you can pray is pray that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes. The, the repentance and the belief comes when the Holy Spirit does something spiritual inside their heart. So that they can see the kingdom of God. And so what encouraged me about the, the life of Moses, like, he saw the kingdom of God. He understood what God was doing. But there's, a, there's in a very real way, it is normal to be nervous. not that encouraging? That's a blank, by the way. It's normal to be nervous in this, in this journey. Because when your eyes are awakened to spiritual things, you see things differently, but you understand, man, I'm in this world that's doing it different than the the kingdom of God. And man, I'm getting nervous in this spiritual journey. It's normal to have doubts. It's normal to be unsure because you're seeing things that others don't see. It's normal that maybe you don't have it all together. I was talking to our staff this week, and uh, we took our staff meeting this week, and we just went over the coastal membership covenant, you know, the commitment that people make to be a member at Coastal. And, you know, we, we parked a little bit on, on tithing and giving a tenth to the local church, you know. And I, I shared stories. I said, listen, there there have been times in my obedience to my commitment to Christ that I have put a check in the offering plate with fear and trembling, right? Like, I, I felt like I'm physically shaking because the numbers don't add up for me, right? You ever done that, Christian? I'm sure a lot of you have done that, right? As part of your... your, your, your obedience to the things of the lord when it comes to sharing my faith with others like i'm i would suspect a lot of you are like me like i don't want to be a jesus nerd out there like you go out in the community and you're talking about the gospel and you just kind of feel weird it's normal to be nervous but here's the thing faith does require courage faith requires courage Courage doesn't mean you're not nervous. Courage means you roll up your sleeves and you obey the word of the Lord because you trust him. And So here's some of the courage that Moses exhibited. Even though he was nervous, even though he made excuses, he, he obeyed what God had called him to do. And so the, the author of Hebrews gives us some of the things, and I think this is really what the Lord saw out of the life of Moses, even though he grew frustrated with his excuses. Here's some of the things the Lord saw. Moses refused the title. Moses refused the title. I'm talking about the very prestigious title of being Pharaoh's son. Hebrews eleven twenty four. it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Some of you in this room, if your journey with Christ means there is a title in your life that you may at some point have to risk. There may be a place in your workplace where you've earned a particular level and suddenly the workplace asks you to maybe compromise. And you say, you know, I but I can't do that. I can't compromise. And people take note of that. He laid down the title. To honor the Lord. What else did Moses have courage to set aside? Well, he refused safe, soft, easy, and comfortable. He refused safe, soft, easy, and comfortable. It takes courage to follow the Lord. He chose to share. Hebrews 11 verse 25. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. In other words, he refused to be a part of injustice. He refused to, to, to acknowledge. He could have claimed to be a part of the Egyptian family, but that's not the family that God was working through. He chose to be a part of what God was doing. He could have, he could have enjoyed the safe, the soft and easy and comfortable. And church, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we, we are living. the church in America is living in a post-Christian generation. And there's going to and, and so I, you can imagine that this text, as, he, as the author's recounting the life of Moses, saying, here's the, some of the things he gave up. It took courage to follow the Lord, that these people, as they're losing their stuff and they're getting thrown in prison, like this was very encouraging them. And, oh yeah, Moses, The you know, most Jews consider him the greatest leader of the Old Testament. Moses gave up things to follow the Lord. And I can tell us as an American church, I just want to prepare your mind. Don't be surprised if we in the next generation begin to get squeezed in order to follow Jesus. I don't think it's going to be as easy as it always has been. I hope I'm wrong. I want you to hear that. I hope I'm wrong. Don't stone me. The Bible says if a prophet, if a prophecy doesn't come stone him. All right, don't stone me. But, but I don't think it takes a genius, right, to look where the culture's going and look how it's separating from Christianity. Now, Christians are being labeled certain things to go, you know what, if I'm going to continue to hold to the scriptures of the word of God and true, man, there's going to be some divergence there. And we're going to have to ask the question, like, are we willing to continue to journey? Are we willing to give up safe, soft, easy, and comfortable in order to pursue the truth of the word of God? It takes courage. Moses had courage. He, he refused the world's wealth. He refused the world's wealth. Hebrews eleven twenty six. 26. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own what? What, church? The treasures of Egypt, right? For he's looking ahead to his what? His great reward. He's looking ahead to his great reward. Are you willing to give up the treasures of this world to lay up, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, as Jesus taught, right? Right? Pastor Andrew said something in, in uh, one of our meetings this week. I thought was interesting, and I think he's right. He said, "You know, I think the two great corporate sins of America is, is we our money. We're not generous. We don't even tithe as an as a Christian American culture, and sexual sin. It might be the roof caving in. I don't know. All right, maybe that might be authenticating what I'm saying. I don't know. Anyway, um, take it for what you want. Um, but <clears throat> our money." And sexual sin, not obeying the word of God in those two areas, two cultural sins of American Christianity. If I was going to preach a sermon on tithing, man, we'd get squeamish, and we don't like to hear about it. And I'm like, man, I, if I'm reading my scriptures, right? Like, I'm, not just, I'm talking about time, talent, and money, okay, all of those things. Like, when we're generous with the kingdom of God, we're storing up for ourselves rewards in heaven. And that takes an eternal perspective to do that. And it takes, like Moses going, you know what, I, the treasures of this earth isn't everything. And, and what we do is we look, and I do this too, okay? I'm not preaching at you without preaching at Sean Brown. Like, we look at the, the people around us in our neighborhoods and we're like, man, they get this and they do that. And there's, you know, a new car and on and on the list goes. And, I, and I'm like, but, you know, sometimes like me and my wife have these conversations and I'm like, but the thing is, is like, we're part of something bigger. Like, we don't have those resources because we're giving resources to our local church because, man, I'm a part of something bigger, the kingdom of God, through the local church. That's what I want to be a part of. It excites me. And so Moses refused the treasure or the wealth of the world. Moses had courage because he refused the world's pressure, too. There was pressure, right? Right? Hebrews eleven twenty seven. 27, it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. I'm going to tell you something. When you serve the Lord, you walk in faith, there is going to be pressure. It's going to be pressure. Young people, I'm going to tell you something. Young, high, middle school and high school. Middle school and high school. If you're going to walk with the Lord, there is, peer pressure is real. When I was in high school, I, this will discourage all the middle schoolers and high schoolers. Okay, um, my nickname, middle school and high school, and it wasn't all because of this, but a large part, my my nickname was Goober. Okay, that's a horrible nickname to grow up with. Like, it, there's a lot of emotional scarring, you know, that I am still overcoming, but. But part of I was a little nerdy, okay, I was a lot nerdy, um, so, um, but part of it was I was living for the Lord. I mean, that was part of it. I was trying to honor the Lord, so I didn't talk like everyone else, and I, you know, I wasn't drinking, I wasn't doing all the things. And so there, you know, there's a part of that, that when you're set apart, there's a pressure. Because Christians, as we're different than the rest of the world, the rest of the world is going to pressure us to do what they're doing, Right? And one day there may be a pressure, like I just suggested, but there may be a pressure externally to the church. But Moses had courage and he walked by faith because he believed the word of God. And just like Abraham, it, Moses' faith rests in God's provision and in God's promise. So just like Moses, just like we learned last week, God, the people of God, their faith rests in God's provision and God's promises. So in Hebrews eleven twenty eight 28, the author finishes up Moses by saying, it was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorpost so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians Tried to follow, they were drowned. I want you to think about this for a minute. So, the author of Hebrews here is hinting at really some of the last two miracles of the people of Israel's escape to the to the wilderness, heading into the promised land. The first one was the story of the great death angel, where God said to the he went uh, Moses declared to the people of Egypt, he said, "Listen, um, the your firstborn, every firstborn in Egypt is going to be dead tomorrow, unless there is the blood of the lamb on the doorpost." Now think about that for a minute. That's a little, like that's what's gonna keep the death angel from my house, some blood on the doorposts. And it's very, very easy sometimes to think, well, really, that's it? That's the simplicity of the salvation of the Lord? Pastor Sean, I mean, we're talking about standing before the holy God of the universe who's appointed once for a man to die, and after that's judgment. And my only hope in the day of judgment is that I repented of my sin and I believed in the person and work of Jesus Christ like that's it yes that's it right and so uh, Moses believed God and then they backed up against the Red Sea and the Red Sea part and they walked on dry ground to salvation to, to rescue. Because God's good to His promises and He's good to His word, and just like we talked about last week, we don't get to make up how to worship God. God has instructed us in how to worship Him, but it really is, in some ways, it's quite simple. And some of us, in our pride, we refuse to accept the gospel because you kind of think there's got to be more to it than that. The miracle of the God of the Bible is He's not complicated. Isn't that cool. I mean, it's not complicated. It just, it it causes you to reduce your pride and take him at his word. To repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God promises to provide. God promises to fulfill in his timing, okay? And timing's important, by the way. And I hope you saw that hint throughout this text that Moses believed in a reward that he doesn't ever see or touch. He's talking about eternal life, Okay, where our focus is eternity focused. And so the question this morning I want to finish with. So, so how do we as a people, as a church, as a community, what is it that we see? What is it that faith ultimately sees? What is it that faith ultimately sees? Ready? It's Hebrews eleven thirteen. 13. All these people died still believing what God had promised to them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and they welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Faith sees that this world is not my home. Faith sees that my time here on earth is short lived. Faith sees that my time here on earth has some kind of impact for eternity. Faith sees that whether what I'm going through now is difficult, even if it's difficult, my time here is short. So, for some of us here this morning, there's a life adjustment that needs to be made in order to take the next step of your faith journey. There's a life adjustment. How many believe that I can take this wheelbarrow across this tightrope with somebody in it? Oh man, yeah, 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 I believe it. Then get in. Noah got in, Abraham got in, Moses got in. For somebody in this room, your step. Is to pull down the walls of pride and repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've been kicking that can long enough. And the Holy Spirit's been working on your heart long enough. And I want to encourage you as this author of Hebrews encouraged his hearers in chapters 4 and chapters 5. Today is the day of salvation. Salvation. For some of you in this room, God's been working on your heart to maybe step it up in leadership in your local church, you know. We need to grow our small group base. And maybe you've been sitting in a small group forever and ever and ever and ever. God's been kind of working on you. Like, maybe I need to take the next step of small group leadership. It's time to get in. For some of you in this room, you know, you've been hearing me teach, I could teach a whole sermon series on why we need to be in small groups. You've never even taken that step. You know, um, Coastal we say we want to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ through connect, grow, and serve. Grow is our, our small group piece where we intersect life and, and the word of God and you surround yourself with other believers that love you and help you grow in the faith. faith. Maybe for you the next step is to get in and be a part of a small group. Maybe for you this morning there's a broken relationship in your life and, and it, it just weighs on your spirit and nobody else but you knows about it. You know, it's a parent, a, a friend, and the Spirit of God keeps n- tugging at you. And go grab a coffee. Have the hard conversation. Make it right so that you can move forward. For somebody in this room, maybe there's a relationship in your life, right? There's a, you're dating someone. You're single and you're dating someone, and instead of them encouraging you to grow closer to the Lord, they are pulling you. in. The truth be told, they're pulling you away from the Lord. Or there's some friendships in your life, right? I've seen a lot of times in marriage, when I've done some marriage counseling where there's struggles, one of the biggest dangers I see in marriage counseling when I, is when I hang out with people and I find out that you know, there's girls' night out or there's guys' night out. Right? The Bible says when we come married, the two become one flesh and there's supposed to be a oneness there. But when you, if it's a girl's night out and a guy's night out, I've seen this many, many times where those girl, the girls or the guys you're hanging with, they they start pulling you away from the things of the Lord. Or uh, many young people, when they're dating someone that's not a believer or nominal believer, and they start pulling you away from the things of the Lord. For you, you need to cut you need to have courage and faith that God's got someone better for you because he commands us to have better people in our lives. You become like the people you hang with. You need to cut those relationships off. Follow Christ. Maybe for you, it's your finances. I was talking about money this morning. Maybe maybe you've never really tithed. And God's got, and I don't have time to preach that sermon this morning, God's got a lot of promises about providing for those who are daring enough to be generous. Maybe, maybe you need to risk a little bit. Maybe, like the great blondine, you gotta get in. Try the Lord on these things. Faith has always taken courage. Faith has always taken not being like everyone around you. Faith has always been about living life through the lens of the eternal. Trusting God at His Word and He's good to His promises. How about you? What's your next step of faith? your next step of spiritual growth. At Coastal, we say we're developing as authentic followers of Christ. That means we are on a process and we are on a journey. I could use the big word called sanctification. We're all in process of growing to be more like Christ. Get in. Get in. Get in. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word encouraging us. Thank you for the saints of old who remind us of their journey of faith. Help us to take you at your word, take you at your promises. The first step of of salvation by grace through faith, a bowed knee to the lordship of Christ. I pray for the one that's here this morning, that's contemplating that. I pray that even right now in this quiet moment of prayer, they would just in their heart and in their mind and business with you, say, God, is best to understand I need to turn from my sin. I need to believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Today I get in. For the one, as I'm talking, Lord, maybe I didn't hit their situation exactly, but your spirit's doing a work in their heart, and they know their next step of obedience, not to earn, but to worship you, the next step in their faith journey, and they're scared to death. I pray that you will give them courage I pray that you get in and watch you work. Heavenly Father, I pray for us as a people, that we would be a people of faith, God. We would continually see the kingdom of God. You would open our eyes to see what others don't see by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.